Um, in, in Psalm 3, we, we learn that absolute trust. We saw how David was absolutely trusting in God through the storms of life. Um, in Psalm 3, he was being pursued by Absalom, his son. Um, he was losing his power. He was losing his kingdom, really, um, as his son had been building a coup and his um, followers were starting to, to drift um, to more enemies and he was running for his life. But we saw how through his prayers, he was trusting in the Lord. Um, today in Psalm 4, we, we see actually a little bit more how that played out practically in his life. Um, there are a lot of theologians, many, if not most theologians, actually believe that Psalm 3 and 4 were originally one psalm, that they were originally one unit, and, and that they were separated by a morning psalm or a morning hymn and an evening, uh, evening hymn. And so Psalm 3 would have been more of the morning song or the morning hymn where David is preparing to run. He's preparing to flee and he's preparing for his day and he's just seeking the face of God and he's praying to the Lord and he's trusting in the Lord. And then he gets down to the end of the day and he lands in Psalm 4 where he's just thanking and rejoicing God in God and his provision. And if that's the case, if that's the route we take, which it is, then Psalm 4 is really a picture of the Christian who is resting at day's end and he's trusting in the Lord and he's finding assurance in the Lord's leading. In other words, we, we see here that David is resting fully trusting in the absolute sovereignty of God that it allowed him to rest even after being pursued and walking through this terrible storm of life. He's trusting in the plans of God. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century British pastor, known as the Prince of Preachers, actually. And he says this, he says, The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night giving perfect peace. In other words, we trust we trust. We trust in the work of God. We trust in the leading of God. We trust in the work of God. And we live in light of that grace. If you notice at the beginning of Psalm 4, it says it's to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. It was meant to be used in worship. And it, the reason it was done so, it was, real, it was there to show them that they are to be assured as God's people that they could remain focused and resting and trusting in Him during life's trials, life's battles. So the main idea this morning that we'll be looking at in Psalm 4 is that Christians have assurance in the Lord because He cares for us, and He hears our prayers. I'm going to read Psalm 4 for us, and then I'm going to pray for our time together. Psalm 4, to the choir master with stringed instruments. A Psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. 
You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, in your own hearts, on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we come to this portion of our worship gathering where we open your word together. We ask that you would speak to us. God, that we would hear the message of Psalm 4 and that for those who are Christians who have trusted in Jesus, that we would find assurance in our Savior. But God, also, I want to pray for those who have not trusted in Jesus for salvation. God, that you move in their hearts that they would see the graciousness of you, our glorious God, that you would give your son Jesus as a sacrifice for their sins. That he would pay the penalty for their sins so that they would not have to. And that they could find true rest and assurance in the work of Christ Jesus. God, we thank you for your word, for the beautiful promises that it delivers to us. And we ask that you would bless the reading of it. We trust, God, that as we read your word and as we work through this text together, that we will see the glories of what Jesus has done for us and that we'll be assured of knowing that the Holy Spirit has then been given to us to live within us, to help us walk in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. So may we glorify you in this time. May you encourage our spirits by the graciousness that you show to us and you display through giving your son. And may we, we, may we be challenged by the lack of grace that we show maybe in our lives. For some, maybe we need to just repent of our sins and turn to Christ. So, Father, we trust that you would move. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. 
that it would be for your glory and our joy. Amen. Again, Christians have assurance in the Lord because he cares for us and he hears our prayers. We're going to start by looking at prayer in verse 1. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. So be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David is praying to the Lord and he's rejoicing in the fact that God has been good and that God has delivered him. Remember, if it is an evening psalm, which it all, all of this points to this being the case, then David has just run all day long, fleeing for his life. And now he's sitting at the end of the day and he's rejoicing that God has been gracious to him. His son was after him. His son wanted his head. He wanted to take over the kingdom. And so David ran. And he's sitting now and he's reflecting back on the day and likely on the rest of his life at how God had delivered him time and time again. And he's trusting in God's goodness. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You see the confidence there. That he's knowing that God is there. He knows that God will hear him. So he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. So be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Prayer is a gift from God to his people. A very gracious gift. And not only does God give us his, this ability to pray, he wants us to pray. The scripture says to pray without ceasing. In all things, prayer and supplication. We should take all things to the Lord in prayer. But here is what is amazing to me about the gift of prayer. Not only does God give us the ability to pray, and not only does God want us to pray, but He's there to listen and hear our prayers. How many other religions do people have to pray over and over and over again to a God that may or may not ever answer them? And yet, God has graciously given Jesus to be an intercessor for us who hears our prayers. We have been given such a great gift in the gift of prayer. And we have assurance of knowing that we have a God who loves us enough and who cares for us enough that he's willing to listen. Likely is that most of us don't pray enough. I don't. It's easy to get swept up in the busyness of life and the constant moving and shaking of everyday living and we just simply forget to pray. And if you're like me, often what will happen is at the end of the day you realize, oh man, I haven't spent near enough time in prayer. And so as I lay down, I try to pray then. And that's not getting it done, is it? Because far often prayer is seen as the Christian sleeping pill than it is a gift that's been given to God. Nothing else is working. Let me start praying. I'll go to sleep. But that's not what it is. 
We literally should be praying all day long. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Because our God loves us enough to listen. He loves us enough to give us the the ability. And even more than that, for the children of God, He gives us the Spirit who prays for us even when we can't. So prayer is this gracious gift, and that's often it's a gift that is abused. It's not a prayer to get things that we want. It's a prayer to talk to the God of the universe. To ask Him to to move in us according to His good pleasure. Why? Because in moving towards His good pleasure and in doing the things He calls us to do, that's where we find joy. Not in the things we can accumulate, but in the work that God sets us apart to do. Again, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. But the truth is, is that prayer gives comfort to his people. It gives comfort to us as we speak to him and he speaks to us. Maybe you're sitting there, well, I've never heard God speak. God speaks through the reading of his word. We cry out to God and we read his word and we just listen. Maybe too, if you're like me, sometimes you'll get into the habit of reading the Word, and you'll just read it so fast because you want to read a lot of it at one time, and you want to you know, check off boxes, but we never take the time to listen. To be honest with you, all the reading's not doing any good if we're not stopping to listen. To listen to what God is wanting to teach me in His Word right now. It doesn't matter how young or old you are, there's grace to be gained in reading the Word of God, to listening to the Word of God. So take time to listen. Cry out to God and listen. I love what the Puritan Thomas Brooks says. He says, ah, how often, Christians, has God kissed you at the beginning of prayer and filled you with joy and assurance upon the close of prayer? True Undivided attention in prayer. Just that time between us and our Creator. No phones buzzing, no TV play, no music going on, just quietness. How often do we just sit quietly and listen to the Lord? I was listening to a book as I was cutting grass, same book I mentioned last week, and he made, The guy mentioned that there was a study done on mice, obviously, can't test humans, but study was done on mice and that two hours of silence every day proved that they had brain cells growing. Just so think about that. If if it works in mice, how well would that silence and solitude work for us? Not so that we could get smarter, but just so we could hear from God. We don't know what it's like to just sit. I mean, in our world, everything is so fast-paced, and now it's smartphones, so every time I sit still, I've got to have my phone in my hand, and I've got to be looking at something or, or gaining some kind of knowledge or checking a score or, or checking an email or, or checking Facebook or Instagram. I'm constantly doing something. But God has given us this gift of prayer, and, and He wants us to pray to Him. But notice as it moves on how how the the psalm begins to shift. 
Look at verse 2. We, we go from this, this gift of prayer and David praying to really a call to repentance. Verse 2, he says, O oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. I'm going to take just a brief note because I don't even know if I've mentioned it in the first three Psalms. But Selah is just, it's really something we don't know exactly what it is. It's believed that it's kind of a pause in the music. A pause to reflect, just kind of a moment to just breathe. But as we get into verse 2, we, we see David beginning to confront, really, to call out his enemies in prayer. But he's, he's calling them out. And he's questioning them. And he's questioning their ways, their motives, their why. I love the way the New American Standard translates verse 2. It says this, How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Man, if that, shouldn't, if that doesn't strike a chord within us. Because part of the problem we have in verse 1 for us and our lack of praying and our lack of listening to God has a lot to do with verse 2. How long will we love what is worthless and aim at deception? We feel our lives with so many things that just take our attention off of Christ into other things. Our lives are filled with things and, and stuff that, that constantly pull our eyes off of the Savior. I would encourage you to just try to step back and see what those things might be. And, and sometimes it's good stuff, right? Family time, work, children, children's activities. But don't forget that there should be a time where we just sit and listen to the Lord. I'm kind of learning this actually right now. Um, I know I kind of mentioned the book that I'm reading or listening to while I cut grass. It's kind of my cheating way of, of reading. You know, here I am talking about silence, so even when I should be silent, I'm listening to a book. But it's actually been good for my soul. Um, and so I'll, I'll put a plug in for it. It's called Reset by David Murray. Um, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to get it. Um, it's geared towards men and, and the way that men respond and react, but, but I would encourage all of you to get it and read it. Um, there actually is a, a companion book for ladies called Refresh. Um, I don't know anything about that yet. I haven't read it, but, but I do encourage you to grab Reset and, and work through it. Um, if you like to listen to audiobooks, I highly encourage you to download the, the audio because David Murray's Scottish, and he actually reads it, so you get it in this really cool Scottish accent too, which kind of makes it even better. But it has been good for my soul, and it is challenging me daily to, to think about what I'm doing and, and think about the time that I'm doing what I'm doing. And I don't think it's by accident that I start that book in the midst of preparing to preach Psalm 3 and 4. That's God. That's God working on my soul and I, and I pray that it's working on yours as well. But every one of us fill our lives with so many things 
that pull our attention away from the goodness and the grace of God. And the, and the result of that is we begin to live a life that is not filled with grace. That it's not fueled by grace. It's a life of legalism. Even when we're preaching grace, we live a life of legalism when we're doing more and we're trying harder in order to gain the favor of God. But that's not how the gospel works. It's resting in Jesus. It's trusting in the work of our Savior. So David is calling out to his enemies. He's confronting them. And it goes on in verse 3. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Christian... You can rest assured that your prayers are heard. Again, this is not a conditional thing. It's not if I work harder, if I try harder, then God will hear my prayers. Or, you know, if you're struggling through sin, that, that doesn't mean that God's not going to hear your prayers. It's not that he's sitting mad at you because you're not walking perfectly in step with what he's called you to do. Because newsflash is, that's all of us. There's not a person in here that can walk perfectly in step with what God has called us to do. There's not a person in here that can perfectly walk the way that God has set us apart to walk. There's not a person in here that can live the way that God has called us to live. Not on our own power. And so we default to this, well, I've got to try to make God happy i got to try to please God in things that I'm doing. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus has already done everything necessary to make God see you as righteous. And it's that, that it doesn't give us then a license to sin or it doesn't fuel the flames for us to, to live way, any way we want to, but it gives us the ability to rest completely in Jesus so that we can live under the grace of God. You know how freeing it is to know that I don't have to make God pleased with me? Jesus has already done that. And if you don't know what that peace is like, then I'm telling you today, then you need to trust in Jesus. You need to rest in Jesus. He's there and He hears, and He works. All things together for good. And here's the truth. That if you have trusted Jesus with your life. Then you can trust that he hears your prayers. It's not conditional. If you have given your life to Christ. If you have trusted Jesus to save you from sin and death. Then he does hear. Period. doesn't mean he's going to answer them the way you want them. But he's hearing. And he's going to answer in the way that is best for you. From an eternal perspective. Because sometimes what we think is best for us is not actually what's best for us. Right? He knows 
And he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. And he's doing that for our good pleasure. So I want to encourage you to find assurance in Christ today. To find assurance that through the storms and the trials of life, that all of those things pale in comparison to the light of the power and the might and the majesty of God. There is nothing that you will go through that is bigger than God. There is nothing that you're going through that is bigger and more powerful than God. He is over all things. And David's learning that. He's learned it through experience after experience after experience in his life. Not many people come face to face with a bear and defeat it. Especially not without guns. Not many people come face to face with a lion and defeat it. Not many people come face to face with a giant and defeat him with a rock. When a whole army is terrified of him. But David has seen the Lord deliver him time and time and time again. Again, this is not to make much of David because David was nothing. David is no different than you and I. David was a sinner who was saved by God's grace. When David failed, God loved him. When you fail, God loves you. And that's good news because guess what? We all fail. Every day. Every day. But he's trusting in the Lord because he's been face to face with the faithfulness of God. For the entirety of his life. Just like you and I have. Even the moments we try to say it wasn't God or God wasn't there. He was. And he was working all things together for your good. Now look at verses 4 and 5. It says, be angry, do not sin. Ponder in your own heart's. On your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now this is interesting. David is pleading for their repentance. He's pleading for them to turn to the Lord. So instead of hating them because of the wrongdoing that they have done against him, he's praying for their salvation. Now, how many of us do that? Probably not many of us, if any. Because typically, you know what probably happens in our lives when we get done wrong? We want not grace, we want retaliation. And then we begin to speak you know, verses of like, you know, revenge is mine, says the Lord, but he's going to work through me. You know, we do stuff that's kind of dumb like that. But the reality is, is that instead of hating his enemies, David is praying for God to save them. Why? Because he trusts in God. 
he knows that he is nothing without God. He knows the depth of the sin in his life. And yet he still knows how God has been gracious to him. And he's trusting him every step of the way. What about us? Are we trusting God in that way? That when we're done wrong, we can pray for those who do us wrong. And not pray for them to get what's coming to them. Now that ain't the kind of prayer I'm talking about. But I mean pray that God would save their soul. That's what David's doing here. And really probably to me that, that's like the gut check punch in the gut verses of, the, of Psalm 4. Because it goes against everything in our nature. Everything within us says retaliate. Everything within us. I mean, we, we live in a world where people have twisted scripture and they've taken like all these different like new age ways of thinking and they've just kind of boiled them all together. You know how many times I see people on Facebook who are professing to be Christian saying karma's going to get you? Karma don't exist. It's just nothing. I mean, if karma was really existing, then everybody who said karma's going to get you would be posting saying karma's going to get me. Because we all deserve death, hell, and the grave. But God has been gracious. And he sets us free from that through the work of Jesus. None of us are worthy of it. That's what makes grace so amazing. David is praying for that salvation. He's calling them to repentance. Do you trust him in that? Do you trust him enough to do that? Moving on, we see now the blessed assurance of the text. Look at verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. In other words, when David's foes are the people he's praying for when, for us even, when we're battling fear and we're battling belief and we're battling and struggling and we're doubting. David is echoing this beautiful benediction that we read in Numbers chapter 6 where Aaron prays a blessing on the people and he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. David prays a prayer blessing and, and benediction over his enemies. And he asks God to be gracious to them. To speak to them. To give answers. Notice in verse 7 the result of David's trust in the Lord. He says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Again, the result of David's trusting in the Lord and the Lord's graciousness is that his heart has been filled to overflowing with the joy of the Lord. 
that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy. The throne that he is losing, if he got it back, is not going to satisfy. The feasts are not going to satisfy. None of the things in this world are going to satisfy. Only God satisfies. I don't know if you've seen how David is responding to the, the struggles of, this, of his life at this moment, but he's changing. And I want to prove to you that he's changing. Let's go back to Psalm 3. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and I slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Listen to this. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing beyond your people. Selah. And here he's saying, you have put more joy in my heart than they have with a grain of wine abound. And he's praying for that salvation. So what's happening? God is changing his heart through prayer. Long before the situation changes. I mean, because David's still fleeing. Yeah, he's coming to rest that evening, but he's still fleeing. It's not over yet. And he's finding rest in God because he's trusting the Lord's provision. He's trusting the Lord's leading. He's trusting in the Lord's graciousness. And the truth for us is that you find more joy in the Lord than anything this world has to offer. We could continue to try to find happiness in all of these things. And if I just have this, then I'll be happy. If I just get that, then I will have some joy. If I just receive this, then all things are going to be good. But that's not true. The only true joy you will find in this life is when you fully trust in the saving work of Jesus, knowing that you don't have to work anymore. You get to work, yes, but you don't have to work. You're not going to attain your salvation. You're not going to achieve it by checking off more boxes. Jesus has already checked all the boxes. That's why Ephesians 2 is so glorious. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that none of us can boast. And he goes on to say that we're his workmanship. He set us apart because of his graciousness to do his work. So we find joy. So what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And those two things work perfectly together. But David is trusting in the Lord. Are we finding joy in the Lord? Would we be able to sit... And say, you have put more joy in my heart than when grain and wine abound. 
You have put more joy in my heart than when I got a raise. You have put more joy in my heart than when we won our ball game. You have put more joy in my heart than when my teams win their ball games. You have put more joy in my heart than when I got married. You have put more joy in my heart than when my babies were born. You have put more more joy in my heart than when I received all of these things. Have we received joy in the Lord that's greater than all those other things? Verse 8, he says, But in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone... O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Absolute trust leads to blessed assurance. I don't know if you know anything about the song Blessed Assurance. Have anybody ever heard the song Blessed Assurance? Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. The lady who wrote that song was blind. I'm not sure about you, but I don't know if it would be easy for me to write a song like that if I couldn't see the beauties that God has put in front of my face. But she trusted in the Lord. David is saying, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That means that there is nothing in this world when we fully trust in God. That's going to take away that peace. It truly is a peace that passes all understanding. Because it's true peace. And true peace only comes from knowing God and even more than that, being known by God. Because it's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. I told you last week that I for far too long stand and preach grace and then I'm struggling to live under grace. And it's easy to do. To get caught in this whirlwind of wanting to please God and forgetting that God is altogether already pleased with me because of Christ. My work is not meriting my salvation. Your work is not meriting salvation. Only God can do that through Jesus. Living a blessed assurance life, living under this blessed assurance means living a life in the truth that Jesus is already 
past tense, conquered sin and death. That means before you were ever created, God saw you. And he knew the sin that we all possess. And according to Romans, it says that Jesus demonstrate, God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died. God knew you and God loved you and God died to save you anyway. Despite you. Despite your sin. Despite my sin. Despite the constant groping for peace. And he's saying, cast all your cares on me and I will take them. Trust in me and I will give you life. Not all the things we try to do, not all the boxes we try to check, not all the images we try to let people see of ourselves to make sure they know that we're a godly man or woman, or a godly businessman, or a godly whatever, No, but living in the truth that Jesus has accomplished and applied redemption for his people. So remember that that God is altogether already pleased with you because he's pleased in what Jesus has done for you. If you've trusted in Jesus. If you haven't, then you've got to check that box. Trust Jesus. You can't get yourself right and then come to Christ. That don't work. You've got to trust in Christ, period. If you want to be saved from sin, trust Jesus. If you want God to love you in Christ, then trust Jesus. If you want God to to not see you as a sinner and to see you as a righteous son or daughter, trust Jesus. If you want to know what it means to have the peace that David is saying in verse 8, that in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety, then trust in Jesus. Surrender your life to Him. Give up that battle of thinking, but if I give my life to Jesus, if I surrender my life to Jesus, then I don't get to do X, Y, and Z anymore. The reality is, is if you give your life, if you surrender your life to Jesus, you're not going to want to do X, Y, Z anymore. Trust in Jesus. Live in the grace of Christ. For the many of us in here that are Christians, but we struggle living under grace, seek the Lord. Trust in Him. Find rest in Him. Don't think much of yourself. Don't think much of David. Think much of God. Who loved us so much that He gave His Son. Let's pray. Father, Pray earnestly that we would understand the graciousness of knowing you. God, for the many of us here who have 
given our life to you and we are truly Christians, but we just battle to live a grace-filled life. That God, that we would just turn our focus back to you and realize that the cross is empty and because the cross is empty, our, our debt has been fully paid. God, also for those who are here that have never truly trusted in Jesus, I pray, pray that you just take their heart and you just begin to squeeze it and that it would ache until they know that they've got to confess their sin and turn to you. So much like David is praying for salvation for those who are after him, I'm praying, God, for you to save those here that are running. They would trust in Jesus above all things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.